This is KMTT, Kimitzion, Tetzei Torah. And today the Shur in Parshat HaShavua. The Shur Parshat HaShavua for Sefer Bamidbar, the entire Sefer Bamidbar, will be given by Harav Alex Israel, who will be replacing Harav Hanoch Waxman for this, uh, for this Sefer. This is Alex Israel from Alon Shavutz. Um, we're going to be talking about Parshat Nassau this week. Parsha Nassau is certainly exciting Parsha, uh, if there is one. Uh, we start off um, with the notion of the, with the story of the Levium, uh who are engaged in the transportation of the Mishkan itself through the wilderness. And then we hurl ourselves from topic to topic here in the Parsha. Um, very, very exciting topics, including uh, the notion of people who are impure not being allowed to remain in the camp, including the uh, Parsha of Sota, the suspected uh, adulterous woman. Uh, any of you who are learning Dafyomi will be in the thick of uh, learning Parsha Sota, uh, learning the topic of Sota at the moment. What follows this is the uh, story or the outlining of the Halachot of the Nazarite, the Nazir, who has to refrain from uh, wine and uh, cannot cut his hair. Um, and then Birchat Kohanim, the blessing, the priestly blessing, which uh, we in Israel um, actually have the benefit of experiencing on a daily basis. Uh, every day we have Birchat Kohanim here. It is certainly an exciting parsha with many, many topics. I, however, am going to turn my attention to the end of the parsha, um, where we see a, a ceremony, a ceremony of dedication of the Mishkan. Um, the ceremony takes place um, as we're told, Biyom Kolot Moshe, Lakim Tamishkan, Vaimshachoto, the Kadeshoto, Vet Kolkila, Vetamizbeach, Vet Kolkila, Vaimshachem, the Kadesh Otam. It is on the day of Moshe completing the establishment or setting up of the Mishkan, anointing it, sanctifying it, etc. And uh, what follows is uh, a series of uh, donations by the Nasiim, by the princes of the tribes. Um, a very repetitive list. Uh, those of you who attend uh, shul regularly in the mornings might even be able to recite the um, the text here verbatim ba'alpeh, uh, because it repeats itself so many times, and it is the parsh, it is the kriyat haTorah for Hanukkah. Um, and indeed, it, it, to that degree, it's a puzzling parsha. Why do we need to repeat it time after time after time? I'm not going to address the, the, the topic of repetition at the moment, but I'm going to try and uh, address a more global uh, problem that we see in the parsha. The, the, there are many problems associated with this uh, um, parsha here of the Hanukkah Tanisim, but I'll relate to just two. Beyond Kalot Moshe Mishkan, what day did Moshe finish setting up the Mishkan? If you look back at the end of Sefer Shemot, Perak Mem Pasuk Aleph Shemot Perak Mem Pasuk Yudzayin, you will see that the day of setting up the Mishkan is actually the first of Nisan, the first of the month of Nisan in the second year of the Midbar. And then we have, we're sort of puzzled, for after all, 
Didn't we just open Sefer Bamidbar on a completely different date? We've suddenly kicked back in time. We've gone back in time. Because Sefer Bamidbar actually begins, It is on the first of the second month. Why do we just go back a month? What's that all about? Second of all, um, haven't we seen the dedication ceremony of the Mishkan already in the, in the, in the Torah? Um, we've actually seen it more than once, and I'm going to relate to that in a second. It appears in many, many different places. It appears in the last chapter of the Sefer Shemot. That's one place where it appears. And it also appears in uh, Sefer Vayikra. In the book of Vayikra, uh, we have, in chapter 9, we have the Yom Hashmini, which is also a day of dedication of the, the, the Mishkan. Why do we need to continue returning back to this date? Why do we keep on needing to describe this event, however grand it was, of the dedication of the Mishkan? What is the purpose? And maybe I'll um, I'll ask a third question too. The, pre- the, the, the princes all come and dedicate various items. However, these items are p- peculiar. They are unusual. Um, they bring wagons and oxen. So I understand that they are to transport the Mishkan. But these are very unorthodox gifts to bring to the Mishkan. In fact, Rashi suggests and the Mufarshim suggest that not, they weren't quite sure. What, he wasn't quite sure whether to accept them. He didn't know whether they should be received well. Where did they get the idea to bring these unusual gifts? Um, the 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 gifts of the Nesim also. Weren't, the Ramban relates to the fact that they weren't even sure. How to align them all? Were they all meant to be uh, brought on the same day or another, or, or, or on subsequent days? In addition, they bring other unusual things. We have here korbanok arat kesefachat. When do we see? Understand that we bring a korban can be an animal or a korban can be flour. But where have we seen people bringing actually tableware to the mishkan? Where have we seen mizrak echad kesef? spoons, we have uh, various different containers and bowls, very unusual gifts. So, with all of this, I would like to try and, uh, and understand the Chanukat Nesim here, and uh, I'm actually going to throw this into a very global uh, backdrop. What I'm actually going to try and do today is to analyze the, the three appearances in Torah, in Chamisha Chumshei Torah, of the story of the dedication of the tabernacle of the Mishkan. So let's begin. As I already indicated, there are three instances in which we see the Chanukat HaMishkan, the dedication ceremony of the Mishkan, and the three places are radically different from one another. The first you will find in Shemot, in the last chapter, Shemot chapter 40. The second you will find in Vayikra, uh, chapter 9 Parashat Shemini and the third is here I would like to suggest this is a classic example um, that we can see in the Torah of repeated parashiot where if we look at the differences between them we will learn an enormous amount about the way that the Torah uh, functions and the way the Torah tries to um, tell us uh, tell us different things Let's begin with uh, Shemot. 
Shemot describes the way that at the end of the entire construction of the Mishkan, Moshe Rabbeinu sets the entire thing up. We read there in chapter 40 that uh, Moshe, um, I'll read the exact Sukim, he has to in, put everything together, construct everything, and this indeed he does. And at the end of all this, we, we're told that God reveals himself to B'nai Israel. How does he reveal himself? In a cloud. The cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and the presence of God filled the Mishkan. God's presence was so manifest in the Mishkan through a cloud that Moshe could not enter. Why did Moshe want to enter? We will see this in a second, but it seems like the, the book ends and we still see Moshe waiting outside. Some would like to suggest that, indeed, the next, the next uh, book, Vayikra, says, Vayikra Hashem, that God does call him in. So, to summarize, the major actor in this story is Moshe Rabbeinu. He sets up the Mishkan with ex- all its exquisite detail, and then uh, God's presence comes in the form of a cloud in the Ohel Mu'ed, it would seem to be inside the tabernacle, inside the Ohel, inside the covered section, such that Moshe cannot actually enter. Eventually, apparently, he does. But we'll see. We'll talk about what he wants there. That's scene number one. The story in Shemot. The story in Vayikra is completely different. In Vayikra, we talk about um, not the first of the month of Nisan, but Yom Hashmini, the eighth day. The eighth day of what? Well, for seven days, the Kohanim have been practicing. They've been engaged in the Yumei HaMiluim, Seven days of preparation for the dedication of the Mishkan. They go through a very specific series of actions, getting dressed in their clothes, performing different sacrifices. And at the end of the seven, they're not allowed to leave the temple, the the tabernacle for the seven days. They've got to stay there. And this is their process of miluim. Miluim from the phrase, lemale et hayadaim, to fill their hands, to appoint them into the role. This is their inauguration ceremony for seven days. However, there is an eighth day. And on the eighth day we read, It is on the eighth day that Moshe calls Aharon and his sons and he tells them that they've got to bring certain karbonot. What's the purpose of all of that? After seven days of preparation, the eighth day will be one of revelation. What do they have to do? They engage in a series of different sacrifices and we're not going to go into the details but what happens at the end of all of this is that uh, Aaron uh, finishes Aaron blesses the people and then eventually the presence of God appears to the nation. Fire comes out from God, from before God. And it, the fire eats up 
on the actual sacrificial altar, the Mizbeach, the Olah and the fats, and all the people see Vayarkolaam Vayaronu Vayiplu Alpanehem. The people rejoice, they fall on their faces in thanks. So let's try and summarize Vayikra. We have the eighth day, an eighth day of culmination of an entire week of preparation. And uh, when this comes to its culmination, uh, what we're dealing with is a ceremony. The major actor is Aaron and his sons. They are at the center of events. And indeed here also, God appears to the nation. He appears to the nation through fire. Fire on the altar, burning up the sacrifices, and thereby showing the people his presence. So that is the story in Vayikra. We've already described the story in Bamidbar. The story in Bamidbar um, would seem to be far more tame. The major actor is not Moshe, and it is not Aharon. It is now the Nasim, the princes of the tribes, the tribal representatives. And as we said, they bring wagons, they bring tableware, so to speak, Kleisharet for the Mishkan, as well as certain sacrifices. And they are paraded in in order. Each one is given their particular um, time on in the limelight. Each of the Nasim are given a day. Each Shevet is given a place to uh, do their part for the Mishkan. Um, and it's interesting that if you look at the end, it's actually the last Pasuk of our Parsha, uh, you actually see that here too there is revelation. At the end of Perak Zion, chapter 7 of uh, Bamidbar, of Nassau, the last, last Pasuk of the Parsha, it says, Moshe When Moshe would come into the tent of meeting, He would hear God's voice speaking to him from above the kaporet, the covering of the Ark of the Covenant, In other words, here we don't see God in a clown, here we don't see God with fire, here we see God with speech, to come and speak to Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, we have to try and explain why we need to hear this story three times. But I would like to make a methodological point before we continue. It would appear to me that the Torah has a classic methodology of uh, repeating the same event from different vantage points. We might say that Bereshit Perak Aleph and Bereshit Perak Bet describes um, creation from two vantage points. We are familiar with the fact that there are two different texts for the Ten Commandments. Maybe they're describing certain things from different vantage points. The Parsha of Eved Ivri, the Parsha of Shemitah, is described in multiple places, each with a different emphasis. We're very familiar, both in narrative sections. For example, the Muraglim, the story of the spies, described in Bamidbar, chapter 13, and then again in Devarim, chapter 1, that the same story can be told from two different perspectives. Some of Farshim will try and resolve all the discrepancies and differences and try and iron them over. They will try and turn the story into a single story. But a different approach says that what we do when we find two stories with discrepancies is we realize that they're both telling 
the same story but from a different perspective. We're familiar with this, certainly in our own contemporary reality, where two people can experience the same event, um, the self-same event, uh, from different perspectives, and their entire experience can be different. I, as a teacher, experience a class in a certain way as the teacher. And I imagine my students experience the exact self-same event from a different vantage point. The same class, the same words, the same subject matter. But if we both had to describe what went on in the room, we would describe it very differently. It would appear to me that the different Svarim, Shumot, Vayikra and Bamidbar, um, each have different uh, agendas, each have a different way of talking, and this is reflected in the way they want to talk about this event, Chanukat Hanasiyim. Or put it differently, HaKadosh Baruch Hu feels that he would like to transmit this event uh, to us um, in three different ways, uh, because apparently there are three different truths which need to be said about this particular moment. Obviously it's a crucial moment of Hashrat Shekhinah, it's a crucial moment of God's presence, it's a crucial nexus meeting point, the Ohel Mo'ed, tent of meeting between um, between God and his people, and therefore it deserves to be described in many, many different ways. Let's start with Shemot. The drama of Shemot, Yitziat Mitzrayim, taking the people out of Egypt, comes to its culmination at Har Sinai when we make a covenant. Or maybe even comes to its culmination in the idea of Am Yisrael becoming a Mamlechet Kohanim Begoy Kadosh. Becoming a nation of priests, a holy nation, and to that degree, V'asuli Mishkan, V'asuli Mikdash, V'shachanti B'tocham. Please make for me a sanctuary so that we can uh, dwell together. The idea of the Mishkan is that it should express the togetherness of Bnei Israel. The person who has led Bnei Israel, the Jewish people, through this entire process is Moshe, the great leader. The purpose of the Mishkan, in many ways, would seem to be the residence of God together with Bnei Israel. However, there is one extra thing mentioned, and that is the notion that God would like to speak to Bnei Israel. God would like to continue the revelation, if I can go to the approach of the Ramban in Sefer Shemot, God revealed himself at Har Sinai, at Mount Sinai, telling us the laws that we should do, and the aim of the Mishkan is to continue speaking to the children of Israel, continuing instructing them. In fact, the key um, vessel of the Mishkan, according to the Ramban, is the Aron, and it is above the Aron that God says, How appropriate then, that at the culmination, at the end, at the crescendo of Sefer Shemot, what do we see? We see the tabernacle set up after its very deliberate and careful construction, and what we experience there and what we see there is that... Um, God's presence is there, so intense, that very similar to Har Sinai, God is so much there, just like on Har Sinai, we cannot ascend the mount. We cannot ascend, we cannot enter the Mishkan. Even Moshe Rabbeinu himself cannot penetrate the Mishkan. The cloud is there, reflecting the cloud that was on Har Sinai. God does reside amongst the people. Despite the Egel, despite the debacle of the golden calf, God is with the people. The major aim 
of uh, the Shemot story is indeed that closeness of uh, God with Bnei Israel and the notion that Har Sinai, that the revelation of Mount Sinai is an ongoing event. Of course, the leadership role is taken by Moshe, as it is throughout the book of Shemot. However, in Sefer Vayikra, a very different perspective takes place. This is the perspective of the inner life of the Mishkan. And the inner life of the Mishkan is um, f- is controlled by the Kohanim. They are the major actors. They are the Mesharatim. The Kohanim, the priests, they are the ones who do all the Avoda. They bring the Korbanot, the sacrifices. It is the priests of Israel who are uh, the major players when we come to the world of Vayikra. Hence, when we describe the event of the um, dedication of the Mishkan, it doesn't come after all the construction on behalf of the people. It doesn't come after Har Sinai or any relationship to it. The dedication of the Mishkan in Vayikra is very, very clear. It is a result of the Korbanot. It is as a result of the work of the Kohanim. And in fact, God's revelation takes place in fire on the altar, burning up those sacrifices, saying, God saying, I like your service, your service is pleasing before me. As opposed to the cloud which appeared in Sefer Shemot in the Olmoed, in the tent of meeting, say, God saying, I want to meet with you, I want to talk to you, I want to converse with you, I want to be engaged with you, I want to be in a, in a, in a relationship with you. In Vayikra, it's not Moshe, but Aharon and his sons. It is the Kohanim themselves. And moreover, it is the Korbanot, the sacrifices, which are the tool by means of which we communicate with God. And the, the actual place, the physical place in which that meeting takes place, is actually at the Mishkan. And at this point we have to turn back to Parshat Nasot, our Parshat Shavuot. What's happening here in our Parashat Shavu, in Naso, is, is unique. It is unique, and I think that by using this, the, the example of the Nasim here, we can actually say something about Parashat Sefer Bamidbar as a whole. The first thing that we understand about Sefer Bamidbar, um, or about Parashat Naso, is that the major actor is not Moshe, the leader, the great leader, the prophet, the man who can go up Harsinai. It is not the Kohen Gadol, Aharon, who is allowed to go into the Kodesh Kedashim and to bring all of the holy sacrifices. It is the Nisim. It is the Nisiei Hamatot, the uh, heads of the tribes, Ha'omdim Ha'apkudim, who are responsible for the count of the people. These are the people who donate. In other words, Sefer Pamidbar is describing the Chanukat Ha. Mishkan, the dedication, the inauguration of Mishkan from the perspective of the people, the people's representatives, the tribal representatives. What do they bring? They bring wagons. Again, what we're going to see is the perspective of Sefer Bamidbar is the perspective of the nation. And the nation are asking themselves, well, how do we schlep this uh, Mishkan through the Midbar? They see him come up with the idea, let's bring wagons. Wagons are what we can do. The perspective is not from the inside. The perspective is from the outside. 
and the Nasim want their part. Rashi says, by the way, that uh, this is a reflection of the fact the Nasim bring their gifts right at the end. The Nasim bring their gifts because Am Yisrael have already all contributed. All of the, the children of Israel were asked to contribute raw materials for the Mishkan. And uh, they came through with such enthusiasm and they left their leaders behind. The leaders were waiting what they could donate, something beautiful, gold, beautiful silver, wonderful jewels, and uh, the people already had donated anything, and therefore the Nasim, the, the, the leaders of the tribes, had to come only after the nation. However, I don't think that uh, Rashi's approach is the only one that we may take, because it is true that the nation donated generously to the various different fabrics, dyes, and materials of the Mishkan, but here we're dealing with a ceremonial event, we're not dealing with things that are needed for the actual construction of the of the tabernacle. After all, the tabernacle has actually been set up and is standing beyond Kolot Moshe Lakimit Hamishkan. Rather, we're dealing with the way that they want to participate in the celebratory events. And here again, the perspective of Sefer Bamidbar is coming from the perspective of the people. Um, Therefore, they bring secular items like wagons. They bring secular items like bowls and and, and spoons. And uh, it's interesting that this is received by God very, very seriously. God doesn't appear here in fire, burning up sacrifice. He He doesn't appear in a cloud to restrict entry to the Mishkan. In fact, the way he appears, as you see at the end of the parsha in Pasuk Peitet, is he actually speaks to the people, The whole idea is that he is speaking to the people. Now, what I have raised here is the fact that um, Sefer Bamidbar deliberately wants to raise the perspective of the nation. And I think um, this is really cutting to the point that I want uh, to you to see about Sefer Bamidbar. More than any other Sefer, more than any other book, Sefer Bamidbar tells the story of, of uh, our relationship with God from the vantage point of the people. Let's uh, give a few examples, and I hope we'll, we'll, we'll see it here. If we turn to the beginning of our Parsha, Really, the end of Parshat Bamidbar, the beginning of Parshat Nassau, we see a special group. It is the group of the Levium. Now, I have to stress, we have not seen the Levium at all in Sefer Vayikra. Sefer Vayikra, which deals with the temple, um, which deals with the tabernacle, the Mishkan, the people who, the, the, the fisheries who are mentioned all the time are the Kohanim. You won't find Levium mentioned in Sefer Vayikra. They don't appear. Suddenly, in Parsha Bamidbar, the Levium burst forth. Who exactly are these Levium? It is interesting. The Levium, they don't wear a special uniform. They don't wear the, 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 the royal clothes of the Kohanim, of the priests in the temple. In fact, they are not allowed to enter into the, in certain places. They're also um, told that they aren't allowed to enter. But who are these people? So we're told in uh, Parshat Bamidbar, in last week's Parsha, exactly what they are. They're sort of in a limbo place. They're sort of in the middle. On the one hand, it says, Hakrev et Matelevi, I'm reading from chapter uh, 3, 
Perek Gimel Pasuk Vav Hakrevit Matele Viva Hamadata Otam Lifne Haron Hakohen Vishertu Oto. They are assistants to Aharon Hakohen and Vishamruet Mishmartov at Mishmeret Kol Haidal Lifne Ohol Moed. They are meant to be some sort of assistants guarding the Mishkan, etc., etc. They are given over to Aharon. However, they are given over to Haron, and here I read from Pasuk Tet, V'natate talavim la'aron u'levanav natunim natunim heim malo me'et b'nei Yisrael. They are there as a gift of b'nei Yisrael. In other words, they are there actually as our, our representatives. In fact, Parashat Bahalotcha begins with the fact that b'nei Yisrael actually um, give over the Levim to the Kohanim. If you want, I would put it this way. We're told Vahazar Hakarev Yumat. Anybody who is not familiar with the laws, anybody who is not sacred enough, will possibly be struck down if they go too far into the Mishkan. How are we how is B'nai Israel, how are the Jewish people going to gain any access to the sanctuary if they're not allowed to enter? So we have certain people who are trained, who are knowledgeable. And they are the Levim. They are our representatives. And they represent the nation on our behalf. And they go to the temple. They help out. The Levim are in this funny place whereby they're not Kohanim. They can't do the Avoda. However, they're actually commoners uh, in civilian dress. They are uh, paid by us in the form of Ma'aser. They don't go to war. Hashem hu nachlato. They go, don't, don't own land. Uh, because their role... Um, is to represent the rest of the nation in the temple. So we've seen Levim, who essentially are, if you want, our emissaries in the temple. Um, those are Levim. We've seen the Nisim, the, the, the secular leaders. And we will see time after time um, leadership coming from uh, the nation. Parsha Balotcha next week in chapter 11, we will be introduced to the Shivim Zakenim. Moshe has a leadership crisis and he appoints Shivim Zakenim. In the following Parsha, Parsha Shalachlacha, we're going to see another group, the Muraglim, um, with different names to the Nasim that we've heard, we, we've heard about here, um, a new group of leadership. Sefer Bamidbar is continually dealing with um, questions, struggling with questions of civilian leadership. We have Nasiim, Muraglim, Leviim, we have Zakenim. Later on, we're going to have the Rebellion of Korach, um, which also deals with the role of leadership and what should be the correct dividing lines between the, the nation and, uh, and the leadership. I'm stressing this on the, on, on the level simply of uh, framing Sefer Bamidbar um, as a book which uh, wants to deal with uh, our journey to Eretz Israel from the perspective of the nation, from the civilian perspective. I'm dealing with this and trying to describe it from the perspective of the particular event of Hanukkah HaMishkan and the fact that it is described from, from our perspective from our, if you want, democratic leaders' uh, vantage point. But I'd like to maybe say a, a, a finish off with a some food for thought. In last week's year, we um, mapped out Sefer Bamidbar into two sections, and we said that actually Sefer Bamidbar is two stories. It is the uh, failed mission to Eretz Israel, 
and then the hopefully successful mission to Eretz Yisrael. And one of the questions we can always uh, uh, ask is, if there was going to be a failed mission, if the mission failed, then wasn't it destined to fail? How could the mission have failed and been botched so badly? So it is true that when you look at the end of the Sefer, you sometimes feel there's a greater sense of preparation. But uh, what was the ingredient that God wanted to put in? Maybe the people were scared, they were a slave nation. How were they going to succeed? What was the plan? What was God thinking? And maybe when we realize that uh, for the first time in Chamishachum Shei Torah, at this particular point, we suddenly realize that not only are there Kohanim who, who function within the closed world, the ivory tower of the Mishkan, but there is a whole array of leaders, several different stratas of leadership, um, where now we're going to be exposed to the Rosh Matot, the Nesiyim, as we said, the Leviyim, um, the Zkenim. We realize that if you want, uh, maybe Bamidbar is trying to hint to us that God, um, HaKadosh Baruch Hu actually gave us a leadership and that maybe there was a certain failure in that leadership which uh, led to the failure of the mission. That it wasn't just that we were uh, led by God or left by God, but actually one of the key questions of Sefer Bamidbar is what happened to the leaders? The leaders are there. What happened to them? Where, where were they? And uh, Bamidbar certainly wants to raise these questions to the surface um, Bamidbar is a book which describes the leadership of Bnei Israel as no other book does. Shabbat shalom to everybody and thank you very much.